from UWM. It's Partners for Health, a podcast about health, research, and everything in between. Each episode, you'll hear a conversation from two different health researchers about their passions, behind what drives them, and how they got to where they are. Partners for Health is an initiative between the College of Health Sciences, the College of Nursing, the Helen Bader School of Social Welfare, and the Joseph J. Zilber School of Public Health, all at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Additional recording facilities are also provided by the UWM Libraries. This podcast was recorded and produced in the good land of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. On behalf of the producers and all the scholars that we feature on this podcast, thanks for tuning in. Welcome to Partners for Health. I'm Carrie Wade, health sciences librarian and co-producer alongside David Fraser from the Center for Urban Population Health. David has brought in two incredible women for a conversation here in episode three. We have Dr. Melinda Cavanaugh from the Helen Bader School of Social Welfare and Dr. Virginia Stoffel from the College of Health Sciences, where she works in the Occupational Therapy Department, also known as Occupational Sciences and Technology. Now to introduce these brilliant women, Dr. Melinda Cavanaugh is an Associate Professor of Social Work at the Helen Bader School of Social Welfare. She is hot off the speaking circuit as she just delivered the keynote address at the annual Health Sciences Research Symposium that is held here at UWM every year that highlights graduate research. So they may mention that quite a bit throughout the interview. She has authored numerous research papers, according to her CV, and been the primary investigator on at least 10 grant-funded initiatives. She specializes in researching caregiver health literacy, the cultural implications of caregiving, youth caregivers and young carers, the impact of chronic illness on family, and social work and healthcare. She conducts applied research in the US and South Africa with families affected by neurological disorders like ALS, Huntington's disease, and Alzheimer's. Some of her research results have been used to develop national education and caregiving materials for families with ALS. More locally in the Milwaukee community, she has received grants from the National Institutes of Health to conduct community-based research on caregivers in Black and Latinx communities dealing with Alzheimer's disease. This project, along with one other, partners with the United Community Center, the Alzheimer's Association, and the Medical College of Wisconsin to address family dementia caregivers and the cultural aspects of caregiving. She is in conversation with Dr. Virginia Jenny Stoffel, who is an Associate Professor of Occupational Science and Technology at the College of Health Sciences. She is hugely influential in the field of occupational therapy and has been named one of the 100 most influential people in occupational therapy as well as previously serving from 2013 to 2016 as a former president of the American Occupational Therapists Association, also known as AOTA. 
Her research focuses on the lived experience of disability and recovery for persons with mental illness and substance use disorders, as well as the experiences of parenting children with autism, the transitions from military to civilian life as a university student, and engagement in psychosocial clubhouses. Her methodologies use motivational interviewing and coping strategies to promote change in substance use and other behavioral changes, reflecting ongoing work with colleagues throughout UWM community. She has a very unique experiencing with research methods that specifically apply to capturing lived experience through photo voice. You'll hear a lot more about this throughout the podcast as she discusses this with Dr. Melinda Cavanaugh. And you'll hear a lot more about her work in South Africa, too, as this is where these two amazing women overlap some as well. I hope you enjoy their conversation. And as always with Partners with Health, I hope you learn something as well. Without further ado, a conversation between Melinda Cavanaugh and Jenny Stoffel. Hi, Jenny. Wait, is it Jenny or Ginny? It's, How do you prefer? It's Virginia. Ginny. Virginia. I'm yes, sorry. right. So G I N. Right. Almost hardly anybody gets it right the first time. So okay. hey, no problem. Hi, Ginny. Hey. It's so nice to sit and meet you. It is right. It was it was fun for me to actually meet you last Friday. Um, yes. You of course presented to the college's um, our joint uh, health symposium, yeah. and um, and so I got to think about well, gosh. Monday, we're going to be together. I know. It was really cool because I thought, oh, how nice to meet you. Yeah. And then I went and looked you up online so that I could <laughs> right. learn more about you and cheat by asking the questions that were probably a little more informed than they would have been. Right. Well, what, what I uh, first thing I noticed about your uh, your resume was that you went to undergrad at Washington University in St. Louis. I actually did my master's degree. You did your master's yes, there. Okay, I got my MSW okay. there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so my quick little story about that is my children, uh, who've you know been around for a long time, uh-huh. yeah, you know, almost all of my professional career, they really didn't think I did anything really important until I was asked to do the commencement ceremony <gasps> at WashU for the oh, well occupational. Done. Students. Well and done. from that point on, they were like, oh, mom, you made it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have loved to have been there if I saw it. it but was, congratulations. Yeah, no, I loved my time at WashU. It's a good spot. It's yeah. a really, really good place. I learned quite a bit. And that's where I started my practice, too. So I was okay. able to. So social work was really, you know, yeah, kind of launched from that program. Well, I. Um, I was an older returning student at the time. I had I actually have an undergraduate degree in theater and um, lived life for a number of years. And one of the things I did, I lived in New York City and I lived in Brooklyn and I volunteered and taught HIV AIDS education. And this was in the mid 90s and uh, it sparked my interest for social work and social justice and health issues. So, yeah. So I think it's uncanny that they've paired the two of us. Yeah, because oh, <laughs> I, I was um, I spent my first two years in undergrad uh, doing theater and music. Did you really? Simply because I knew I could fit it in before I started in my occupational Should therapy we break out program. Into Hello so yeah, in the middle of this, <laughs> I, I I could do Eliza Doolittle. Yeah. <laughs> 
But um, so we share so we share that piece, which I think is like hugely helpful as a professor, because if you can't somehow, you know, bring a presence to your interaction, Mm -hmm. both Mm -hmm. in the classroom, but maybe even bigger when you're leading a national group and doing like major presentations. I'm ever so grateful to know how to breathe and articulate and And not completely freak out in front of a bunch of of, um, strangers. Absolutely. And I love that you said that about the national group. Because when I was doing my recon on you, um, you were the past president of the American Occupational Therapy Association. What was that experience like? Oh, my gosh. It was um, it was amazing. So I just finished that about three years ago. And so the woman who came in after me is just finishing up her three year term. So it's a, a point in time. And of course, Facebook does a really good job of reminding you where you were. One and two and three and four and five years ago, and um, I'm so glad Facebook wasn't around twenty well, years ago. Right, exactly. So, but it's you know it, it kind of um, kind of reminds me you know um, so being AOTA president was one of those things that uh, actually from our campus I'm the second person who's ever been in that position. Oh wow! Milwaukee Downer College uh, had an OT program director, uh, and of course that's our our campus old buildings. Yeah. Um, the year I was born, back in 1955, that the um, then director of the OT program was AOTA president. Oh, um, wow. So what yeah, a very and there's cool only been like 29 of us, yeah, across time so wow. far. Yeah, yeah, as a profession, we're 100 years old. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. but um, but it really gave me a chance to, I think. Um, connect our program and a lot of what we do and the students that we work with mm-hmm. to what's happening both nationally as well as internationally. Uh, because these days you can't represent the country that has the most practitioners in the world without <laughs> yeah. you know, um, actually yeah. interacting with those um, international peers. So now Absolutely. I get to represent AOTA uh, with my colleague uh, Moses Ikugu to uh, the World Federation of Occupational Therapy. Oh, well so it's done. a cool way to be able to mm-hmm. you know, take a lot of uh, intense work and bring it forward. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's yeah. exciting. Yes. Good yeah. on you. Yeah. That's it wonderful really to be is. a part of such a national organization yes. and, and a profession that's been around for so long. Yes. And to be able to represent it here at UWM. Yeah. No, it's nice. been wonderful. Right. Nice. So how, how did you, you know, you did that HIV stuff. And of course, back in the <laughs> 90s. Yeah. I had, you know, this, I, I was involved in two major projects, both with social work faculty. Oh. Um, yeah. So Alves Weepen, Audrey Bagon, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and part of uh, Project Match, which mm-hmm, was here between mm-hmm. 90 and 95. And then again, between 98 and 2002, um, working with uh, people who then came to campus, Laura Otto Salai, Lisa oh, Berger, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, Mike mm-hmm. Brandino, um, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. my colleague in OT, Carol Hartline-Sells. Mm-hmm. And we were part of an MCW, UWM, uh, HIV prevention intervention for adults with serious mental illness. Oh, wow. So we uh, carried out um, yeah, that project arrive is what the name of the, mm-hmm. the study was at mm-hmm. the time. So mm-hmm. yeah, so my history with social welfare, both in the clinic, but also uh, for the past 30, 35 years mm-hmm. here at UWM, has always been kind of hand in hand with social welfare. Oh, as it should be. Yeah, it's one of the great things about being part of um, 
allied health professions is that we do get to learn from each other and we get mm-hmm. to meet each other in different meetings and collaborate and share experiences. And there's so many opportunities for our students to learn from each other as well. That's right. um, you know, I, I've been working with occupational yes. therapy and physical therapy and speech language pathology for the past four years on an interprofessional education workshop. And one of the best things that students say uh, is that they've learned what the other profession really did, you That's know, right. as opposed to thinking, you know, physical therapists just help you get up and down out of chairs and mm-hmm. child welfare is the only thing social work does. And so it really um, it's a really extraordinary opportunity. So it's great to be able to share that across professions. That's right. In fact, when I told my colleagues that you and I would be on this uh, together, uh-huh. they said, well, talk about how great the <laughs> IPE experience has oh, been. Good. And, and you know, really being able to uh, come together as, uh-huh. as colleagues who both have a sense of what we bring to the table, but mm-hmm. also mm-hmm. what each other brings to the table and how that's a, even greater um, in terms of what we what we do, how Absolutely. we work. Absolutely. And, you know, I always, um, my practice, so I'm a clinical social worker and associate professor, but all of my clinical practice was always in healthcare. Mm-hmm. So for me, I always feel like I was raised in healthcare around a very multidisciplinary group of folks. So it's second nature to me to think about projects or research mm-hmm. or teaching in terms of, you know, what other professions can be involved and, and, and what does that mean? So it's always interesting to me when I come into contact with folks who don't necessarily think that. So it's it's a phenomenal opportunity here at UWM that everybody's so open to it. And it's just the best faculty. Mm-hmm. I mean, we learn so much from each other because during right. the workshop, we're bouncing off, you know, questions from each other. And, you know, people are saying, well, what about this? And, you know, and the, so that's modeling for the students that right. we as faculty come from a professional position, but we work very collaboratively. And so that's, that's been a really great opportunity to kind of further this idea of uh, multidisciplinary health professions on campus. Yeah. Well, and and especially in a, in a world where there are too many issues out there for Mm. us to even think about trying to protect our turf, which is, which is, I think, you know, in decades in the Mm -hmm. past, uh, that's been a concern across health Mm -hmm. professions. Mm -hmm. Rather, how do we work best together to uh, bring to scale all the needs? that are out there that aren't yet being met by the current health health systems. Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's just so much, um, there's so much benefit and it's fun, yes. quite frankly. Yes. It's fun because then we get to learn and change our own profession based on what other folks are doing as well. That's right. Yeah. That's cool. So last week you got to share with us um, some of the experiences you've had with young people Mm -hmm. uh, who find themselves in a position where they're offering care for uh, a mom or a dad, Mm -hmm. you know, typically Mm -hmm. who have a kind of a long-term or complex Mm -hmm. health problem. Mm -hmm. And maybe you'd like to talk a little bit more about that. Oh, sure. How much time do you got? Um, (laughs) Yeah. So uh, it's one of those things that I'm, I, I think back to my practice. And I'm just so grateful that I had those years as a clinical social worker because everything I learned there is what I now either engage my students in or the research that I do. And I was at Washington University Medical School. I was a social worker in the Department of Neurology. And one of my positions was to coordinate the Huntington's Disease Center of Excellence. And knowing nothing about Huntington's disease, it was learning on the job. But one of the great things I got to do was go into people's homes and do homes 
home assessments and meet their families. And through doing that is when I met the children in the home. And thinking and looking and really working with them about their lives, I discovered that they're supremely involved in care. Mm -hmm. And so I've been able to really parlay that into my research trajectory. And so I look really at across disorders. Primarily, I still... I still focus on neurological disorders because that was my years of uh, clinical expertise. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, children are deeply involved. And so when I say children, typically under the age of 18 or 19, but certainly caregiving, everyone at every age is involved at care. And uh, and I think that's something that I'm grateful that I get to bring mm -hmm. um, is that I bring that awareness that little children, younger children, tween, young adults, Lots of them are deeply involved in care, and uh, so that's that's the research I get to do. Yep. Yeah. Well, and I think it was it was interesting to hear people in the audience respond mm -hmm. to um, not only the the challenges that poses for those kids, mm -hmm. uh, but also the resilience and the uh, the kinds of you know I think sometimes in my family with my mom dying early in my yeah. life, uh, thinking about the gifts that came with that. Yeah. You know, the gifts of maybe not just um, having support from other family members, but mm -hmm. from neighbors mm -hmm. and and people in the community who mm -hmm. who knew about what was happening mm -hmm. uh, or had some sense and um, tried to reach out for support. So yeah. I suspect you've you've met different people along the way who've, who've both benefited from the experience, oh, but also have been really challenged by that. Absolutely. Actually, I, I was just, um, I just was working on a paper with my colleagues and that's really the key thing that we found in, you know, we just did a, a study on uh, families in ALS and both the parents were grateful for the help that the children provided, mm -hmm. but also at the same time felt really disappointed and sad and guilty that they were um, kind of relying on these children. And at the same time as well, the children were saying, boy, this is stressful and I'm overwhelmed and I don't have anybody to talk to about it. But at the same time, I kind of feel good about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So on, on both ends, it is. It's that um, positive and negative And it's just yeah. it's such a complex experience. Yeah. And thank you. You did share that in mm -hmm. the talk about mm -hmm. your loss of your mom at a young age and mm -hmm. how wondering how that might have shaped your experience mm -hmm. moving forward into occupational therapy. Do you think that had an influence on it? Oh, I, I do think it did. Yeah, I, uh, being, you know, kind of seventh and eighth grade while she mm. was out of the home, you know, getting yeah. the care she needed. Um, and it, But also being seventh of nine. Um, so I had all wow. these older brothers and sisters before me. Mm -hmm. And um, the oldest sister was a nun. I knew I would not, you know, <laughs> select that path. But, you know, but across them, we've got two nurses. We've got a physician assistant, a therapeutic rec specialist. Yeah, we could really open our own clinic. You should. Uh, we would you know, have, some people have basketball. <laughs> teams you guys have medical that's clinics. right exactly exactly <laughs> wow um so i think for a lot of us we we really discovered that um that there is more to uh, being part of the health system than just treating the person who has the condition but engaging the family and um and for me it was it was the attraction to occupational therapy was really more about so what can you do in everyday life uh that keeps you well and mm -hmm. keeps your life full of meaning and keeps yeah. you socially connected yeah. and um and for me uh that was what occupational therapy offered and of course in today's world, we find that those are the kinds of things that actually keep us aging well mm. in place. Uh, mm -hmm. So, yeah, some of the things I was attracted to from, from afar mm -hmm. are actually the things that I not only teach other people about or study, yeah. but I try to actually do myself, uh, nice. which is kind of a cool 
outcome. What an extraordinary opportunity to really, you know, kind of take something that was, I can only imagine how difficult that was as a child, but mm-hmm. then to be able to kind of parlay that into a life's work. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, um, more, more back on your end, though. <laughs> uh, as I was thinking about the uh, the work you've done with different populations, um, mm-hmm. and and the, even the research methods that you use, mm-hmm. uh, somehow you're able to get people to warm up to you and uh, <laughs> kind of tell you their stories. I'm chatty. <laughs> yeah, you know what? I like kids. I think some of it is just uh, who I am as a person, but also I rely a lot on my training as a social worker and a lot of the skills that I, you know, picked up in not only my academic training, but also in my clinical training um, to really be able to sit down with folks and ask them those pointed questions. I think something I'm not, um, I'm never quite afraid to ask the tough questions. And I think people, and particularly kids, who seem to be um, more receptive to that, Mm -hmm. they respond well Mm -hmm. when you just uh, kind of directly ask it and just own that this is what we're going to be talking about. Um, And I also respect so much their situations. And I think it has a lot to do with the again, the clinical practice, Mm -hmm. that when I am going into someone's home or when I am meeting with kids, it's not just, oh, I I read about this idea in a book and I'd like to ask you questions, but it's that I was a social worker and I was in people's homes like yours. And I've sat with families who um, were living with and, and often dying from a disease. So I share that and I'm very open about that so that um, I think that helps mm-hmm. with that level of trust. Mm-hmm. I always like to bring their words into it. Um, so even though I'm talking about, you know, all this research I'm doing, but I always try to frame it in their words so that we never forget that these experiences are real people. Um, so, but, uh, I really appreciate that. That mm-hmm. was, it was a huge well, compliment that you just gave me and sure. I, I thank you for that. Well, the, uh, so the listening to you and especially your high regard for the actual voice of your participants, mm-hmm. uh, is the other piece where I thought, well, gosh, we really are connected. Uh, <laughs> so, so back, uh, back when Katrina hit, um, oh, yeah. I was, uh, starting, um, with, um, a, uh, occupational therapist friend in Kansas city and we were, uh, mm-hmm. designing a, a new mental health occupational therapy text that we just yeah, finished the second that. edition I read of. About right. your text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what we were particularly interested in was to make sure that this was a mental health text that introduced occupational therapy students to the real lived experience of what's it like to suffer from yeah. depression or bipolar disorder yeah. or, or schizophrenia, mm-hmm. you know, struggle with substance mm-hmm. use, even just the normal ups and downs of stressful everyday life um, mm-hmm. that gets in the way mm-hmm. of, of sometimes healthier living. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we discovered there that our idea that that maybe pictures uh, by real people with lived experience with maybe a little caption below mm. that they would provide mm-hmm. would give that. And then we it, we came upon, uh, Tana went to a, a psych rehab conference and uh, a person was there presenting on a process called photo voice. 
And that has really become a method I use and actually love to use mm -hmm. with all sorts of different people whose mm -hmm. stories we don't know much about. Uh, and so essentially what it takes is, in the old days, we used to just <laughs> hand out throwaway cameras, 35 millimeter throwaway cameras, oh, yeah. and basically say, think about the, the stories that you can tell about your life that would help other people understand what you're experiencing mm -hmm. and maybe even get a glimpse of what that's like mm -hmm. so that, that we could be in a position to help promote change or some better way of living or being. And so uh, we uh, went through training during Katrina is that was occurring and it's memorable because we were doing it uh, at, at Tina's home and she has one daughter and she had just dropped that daughter off in, in New Orleans oh, for her wow. freshman year of college oh, right? wow. so she was home five days later yeah because oh, of course goodness. yeah that yeah, floods yeah, yeah. hit but uh, but that really you know started me on a process. Mm -hmm. uh, after that, uh, we finished the book. Mm -hmm. But I was working on my dissertation research at the mm -hmm. time and used photo voice as one of the ways mm -hmm. that I worked with actually um, folks here in Milwaukee uh, who are part of the Grand Avenue Club to oh, talk yeah. about their experience of mental health um, and yeah. a clubhouse engagement and their mm -hmm. recovery. And now I get to actually use that process with um, students on our campus, um, yeah. students who have uh, the experience of moving from military mm -hmm. life to civilian student life uh -huh. in higher education to help us really get a glimpse of, you know, what's that like mm -hmm. um, and what are mm -hmm. both the joys as well as the challenges. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so the pictures elicit the storytelling in ways that, that usually the photographer-author never knew they had yeah. you know so these aren't like thoughts it's like oh I, I've wanted to tell somebody this all along mm -hmm. it's like oh my gosh I didn't know I even had that story yeah. um, but the picture somehow elicits that and the group discussion and the That's sharing so powerful it's very cool yeah I'm, I'm fascinated by your work because when I was you know, reading some of your articles and watching you give a presentation, something that struck me was, you know, kind of harkening back to our earlier conversation about, you know, the, this profession does this and this mm -hmm. profession does that. And I just was so impressed with the work that you're doing around occupation, occupational therapy and substance abuse and mm -hmm. mental health when, you know, oftentimes those aren't the first things that come to mind when right. you think of occupational therapy and now your work in military and military mm -hmm. families as well. What what got you into that? kind of stream of work and occupation with mental health and substance abuse? Well, interestingly enough, yeah, back a hundred and something years ago, um, <laughs> occupational therapy came out of the moral treatment uh, traditions that were beginning to be established in community mental health programs. Really? So, uh, so the early, exactly. And, and then what rapidly moved that mm. was that those, they brought those principles um, to light. And, and actually in some of those early uh, moral treatment units where the less wealthy uh, people needing services did the work of mm -hmm. running the farm to get the food, to feed the people in the institution, or you know, being engaged in you know, helping to yeah. clean or organize a unit, that, that they fared better in their outcomes um, around their mental health treatment uh, and filled their day with meaningful occupations. And, um, and so people running those institutions mm -hmm. paid more attention to that and really began to 
organize uh, kind of programs around work and play and self-care mm. that were thought to be beneficial. And of course, you know, this was long before the advent of pharmacology and, and sometimes brutal yeah. other treatments, uh, oh, yeah. be it, well, you know, water or yeah. brain you know. Ice. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Surgery. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so those, you know, those kinds of ways of working with people in a humane, mm. respectful way are actually what a hundred years later we've kind of come to find is probably a good way to structure things. So right from the get-go, that mm-hmm. was that was an interest of mine. Um, I had had family members uh, in my both immediate and extended family who were struggling with different aspects of their own health and well-being. Mm-hmm. And I could see how <clears throat> when you were able to kind of do with them in ways that didn't jeopardize their health, that mm-hmm. in fact, you know, they did better, they looked better, they were more committed to, mm-hmm. to their path. And, oh, wow. um, and so that, that kind of intrigued me. And that's really where I, I look for my op- first opportunity in the clinic. I was hired as a pilot project at DePaul Hospital, you know, gosh, more than 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was the first um, OT as part of their treatment team. Mm-hmm. And so we moved from a very small group of, of two and a half of us to about 18 of us um, mm-hmm. over time mm-hmm. uh, to really offer comprehensive service to children and youth mm-hmm. who were struggling with mental health and substance mm-hmm. abuse, as well as mm-hmm. adults and older specialty mm-hmm. programs for older adults, for professionals, mm-hmm. um, for families. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, uh, you know, being at, at DePaul at that time was a really exciting time, mm-hmm. uh, both in terms of really seeking models that would have long-lasting outcomes, uh, as well as um, that uh, really created that picture of recovery uh, that was different than simply being sober. This is so interesting because it just strikes me that, um, you know, when we ask our students this in this interprofessional education workshop, you know, what are some of the stereotypes you have about these different professions when, in theory, as healthcare folks, we all are supposed to be working together collaboratively in multidisciplinary teams? And what are some of those stereotypes or what are some of those assumptions we make? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, uh, I'm, I'm grateful for your explanation because I really realize how many, um, you know, assumptions I make about where occupational therapy began mm-hmm. as a as a profession or what are the things that you all are tasked with doing. Um, and I think that's a really instrumental uh, kind of piece of who we are as professionals that we can, mm-hmm. you know, educate our colleagues about that. Um, well, and yeah. I know for myself, what I always appreciated working with social work uh, clinicians was their ability to um, both, you know, I mean, I think systems theory was huge at the time, um, family systems Mm -hmm. and and, um, especially working in in the mental health addictions Mm -hmm. area, you Mm -hmm. know, um, looking at at family roles and and some of the challenges that families had in recovery, Mm -hmm. but also how to influence public policy, uh, because I actually think that in my profession, uh, we have come to recognize that we need to expand our capacity in that area if we truly want to make inclusive communities Mm -hmm. inclusive. Yeah. Yeah. So when people say, well, are you working clinically? It's like, I'm not even sure that's the right term anymore. Um, Because if, if communities were truly inclusive of all people, with or without their disability, Uh the world would look different. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that that is a pretty uh, powerful statement. (laughs) 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 The peanut gallery is nodding at us.
for the continuation and conclusion of the conversation between Melinda and Jenny, the next episode in your feed will cover that. Uh, you'll get a lot more insight into the interpersonal and interprofessional lives of social work and occupational health, and including some of the really interesting places that Ginny and Melinda's research has taken them, and some of their day-to-day life as faculty members here at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I'd just like to acknowledge that Partners for Health is recorded and produced on the traditional lands of the Potawatomi, Ho-Chunk, and Menominee, alongside the Michigami, North America's largest freshwater lake system where the Milwaukee, Menominee, and Kinnikinick rivers meet, and the people of Wisconsin's sovereign Anishinaabene, Ho-Chunk, Menominee, Oneida, and Mohican nations remain present. And once more, I'd really like to thank my co-producer, David Fraser, from the Center for Urban Population Health in helping put together this podcast and get these amazing people together. Thank you, David. And we hope you stay listening to Partners for Health, which again is a collaboration between the College of Health Sciences, the College of Nursing, the Helen Bader School of Social Welfare, and the Joseph J. Zilber School of Public Health, and the UWM Libraries, of course, which is not an official partner for health, but uh, I have inserted myself into that, at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Thank you.